Hello everyone and welcome back to Endopod. If you're new here, hello, my name is Regina Sumarli and I am a third-year medical student. We are excited to be back with another episode of our Oncology Cancer Series. This last episode of this series will be covering endocrinological cancers and to end this series, we are going to be looking at cervical cancer. We are going to discuss what it is, its classifications, presentation, screening program, diagnosis, and treatments. This episode is made in collaboration with the Aberdeen University Obstetric and Gynecological Society. So, let's get started. Cervical cancer is a type of cancer that occurs in the cell of the cervix, which is the lower part of the uterus that connects the vagina. It is the 14th most common cancer in females in the UK. However, it is the second most common globally behind breast cancer. This is a result of the direct link between cases and effective prevention programs that unfortunately are not as prevalent in low-middle-income countries. The prognosis of cervical cancer is overall poor, but this varies depending on the FIGO staging of the tumor and can range from a 96% 5-year survival for stage 1 to a 5% 5-year survival for stage 4. Before we get into a bit more detail on cervical cancer, it is very, very important to have an awareness of cervical intraepithelial neoplasia, or what we call CIN. This is the grading system used to describe the level of dysplasia, or what we call premalignant change, in the cells of the cervix, and it is diagnosed with colposcopy, which is a simple procedure used to look at the cervix. There are three CIN stages. CIN1 is mild dysplasia affecting one-third of the thickness of the epithelial layer. This is likely to require no treatment. Next, we have CIN2, which is a moderate dysplasia affecting two-thirds of the thickness of the epithelial layer. This is likely to progress to cervical cancer if untreated. Then we have CIN3. It is severe dysplasia, also known as cervical carcinoma in situ, and is very likely to progress to cervical cancer. CIN can be managed during colposcopy using large loop excision of the transformation zone. This is performed under local anesthetic in which a loop of wire with electrical current is used to remove abnormal epithelial tissue. This can result in complications such as bleeding and abnormal discharge for a few weeks following the procedure. Next, we'll go through a bit about the disease process of cervical cancer. So, cervical cancer can be separated into two main groups, squamous cell carcinoma and adenocarcinoma. Squamous cell carcinoma, which is the most common type, accounting for approximately 80% of cases, beginning in the lining of the outer cervix. Then you have adenocarcinoma, which accounts for approximately 15-20% to 20% of cases beginning in the cervical canal. Rarer causes of cervical cancer include adenosquamous carcinoma, clear cell carcinoma, neuroendocrine carcinoma, lymphoma, and sarcoma. Cervical cancer is mainly caused by the sexually transmitted infection called human papillomavirus or commonly known as HPV, particularly the 16 and 18 subtypes. 
as these are the most carcinogenic. In simple terms, when healthy cells of the cervix become infected, they undergo changes in their DNA, causing the cells to multiply and grow uncontrollably. This leads to the development of abnormal cells and eventually a tumor. Now, to go into the pathophysiology more specifically, HPV-16 produces the E6 oncogene, which inhibits the P53 tumor suppressor gene. On the other hand, HPV-18 produces the E7 oncogene, which inhibits the RB suppressor gene. These DNA changes both result in the development of coilocytes, which is a type of cells which develops after an HPV infection, which have the following characteristics. Enlarged nucleus, irregular nuclear membrane, hyperchromia, in which the nucleus stains darker than a normal cell, and perinuclear halo. We have talked quite a bit about cervical cancer. Now let's go through a bit about their risk factors. So what sort of things can increase the likelihood of getting cervical cancer? It is certain that HPV plays a role in cervical cancer development, as discussed. The majority of the risk factors for the disease are associated with this. However, HPV is very common and most people with the virus will never develop cancer, meaning that other factors are also associated with the development of the disease. The following is a list of some of the most known and important risk factors in cervical cancer development. Early age at first intercourse, as this increases the risk of developing HPV. Then we have increased number of sexual partners, as this also increases the HPV risk. And also other STIs, which can be associated with HPV infection. Then we have smoking, which is particularly associated with squamous cell cervical cancer. Then we have immunosuppressant drugs or disease, such as HIV, that weakens the immune system, leaving individuals more susceptible to HPV. Then we have high parity, which basically means having more than 5 pregnancies at over 20 weeks gestation. Then we have combined contraceptive pill and family history of cervical cancer or other cancers. Now that we are aware of the causes of cervical cancer, let's move on to the clinical presentation of the condition. Early disease in cervical cancer is often asymptomatic, and so cervical smears are essential in detecting tumors at this stage. Abnormal vaginal bleeding is the most common symptom, which can be classed as intermenstrual or bleeding in between periods, postmenopausal, which means bleeding after experiencing the menopause, and the last is postcoital, which is bleeding during or after intercourse. Other symptoms include bloody vaginal discharge, dyspareunia, which means pain during intercourse, and pelvic, abdominal, and back pain. All of these symptoms are generalized and common, especially in patients with the other gynecological conditions such as endometriosis, and so it is essential to always rule out cervical cancer if these symptoms ever change or worsen. Advanced disease can lead to more nonspecific malignancy symptoms including weight loss, bowel changes, or edema. Edema is swelling of your body parts, especially the limbs and abdomen. 
Moving on to the diagnosis of cervical cancer, it is essential to begin with the NHS cervical screening program, as this is how the majority of cases are picked up. The program was established in 1988, which is estimated to prevent 1,000 to 4,000 deaths annually, with the main aim of detecting premalignant changes. Cervical screening is offered to women aged 25 to 50 years old every 3 years and women aged 50 to 64 years old every 5 years, unless the individual has missed screening or has had previous abnormal smears. During pregnancy, cervical screening should be rescheduled for 12 weeks post-delivery. During the smear process, the cervix is brushed to obtain a cell sample, which is then tested for high-risk strains of HPV. If the sample is HPV negative, then the patient returns normal recall. So, if they are 25 to 50 years old, they'll come every 3 years again, and if they are 50 to 64 years old, they'll come again in 5 years. If the result shows HPV positive, the sample is then microscopically assessed using reflex cervical cytology to visualize any abnormal cells known as dyscariosis. Abnormal samples include the following. Borderline changes in squamous or endocervical cells, low-grade dyscariosis, high-grade dyscariosis which can be moderate or severe, and invasive squamous cell carcinoma or glandular neoplasia. Patients with abnormal cytology are referred to colposcopy, which is a procedure in which a lighted magnifying instrument called colposcope is used to examine the cervix, vagina, and vulva. Vulva is the area around the vaginal entrance. However, if the sample is HPV positive but has normal cytology, the test is then repeated at 12 months. In some cases, the sample can come back inadequate and therefore the sample is repeated at 3 months. If a patient has two consecutive inadequate samples, they are referred to colposcopy. Colposcopy will allow direct visualization of the cervix and can show typical vessel structure, ulcers and lesions on the cervical surface and contact bleeding which will aid in diagnosis. During the procedure, a biopsy will be taken to achieve laboratory diagnosis. There are additional investigations that patients may have to receive to undergo staging, which includes examination under anesthetics, chest x-ray, IV urogram, cytoscopy, sigmoidoscopy, and a CT or MRI scan. These investigations can also assist in looking for metastasis in which the most common areas are the pelvic nodes, liver, lungs, and bone. Metastasis here just means that the cancer has spread, and it is likely to spread to the organs that we just mentioned just now. Fortunately, cervical cancer cases are incredibly low in the UK, thanks to prevention methods including the screening program as we have discussed. The second prevention program that has played part in a decreased number of cases in the UK is the HPV vaccination program that was introduced in 2008. Originally, this only covered strains 16 and 18, but since 2012, it now provides additional protection for strains 6 and 11, which are associated with genital warts. From 2019, the vaccine is now offered to every 12 to 13 years old, both male and female. 
Moving on to the actual management of cervical cancer, this can become complicated and varies on a case-by-case basis. However, at the medical school level, it is important to note that management depends on the FIGO staging of the tumor. 1A is confined to the cervix and only visible by microscopy and less than 7 mm wide. 1B is confined to the cervix, clinically visible and more than 7 mm wide. Stage 2 is extension of the tumor beyond the cervix but not the pelvic wall. Stage 3 is the extension of the tumor beyond the cervix and to the pelvic wall. And stage 4 is the extension of the tumor beyond the pelvis or involvement of the bladder or rectum. For 1A tumors, hysterectomy with or without lymph node clearance and close follow-up is the gold standard treatment. Hysterectomy here just means the removal of the uterus or the womb. Alternatively, a cone biopsy with negative margins can be used for patients wanting to maintain fertility. This involves the removal of a cone-shaped piece of the cervix. Stage 1b, 2, and 3 tumors are managed with radiotherapy and concurrent chemotherapy. Radiotherapy can be either brachytherapy or external beam radiation, while cisplatin is the most common chemotherapy agent used. Stage 4 tumors are also managed with radiotherapy and or chemotherapy. However, this is usually palliative. Like any other medical intervention, it is essential to have an awareness of the possible complications associated with cervical cancer management. Complications of hysterectomy include hemorrhage or bleeding, infection, anesthetic risk, damage to local structures such as the bladder and urethral fistula. For radiotherapy, complications can be split into short and long-term. Short-term complications of radiation include diarrhea, vaginal bleeding, radiation burns, micturition pain or pain when urinating, fatigue, and weakness. Long-term complications of radiation are ovarian failure, fibrosis, and lymphedema. To conclude, cervical cancer is a common cause of death for women globally. HPV is associated with over 99.7% of cervical cancers and are mainly caused by two types, 16 and 18. And so risk factors that increase HPV infection rates are the most relevant to cervical cancer. This includes multiple sexual partners, early age at first intercourse, associated STIs, and immunosuppression. Patients tend to present with advanced disease with the most common symptom being abnormal vaginal bleeding. Early cases tend to be asymptomatic, but can be picked up from the cervical cancer screening program, which is offered to women aged 25 to 50 years old every 3 years and women aged 50 to 64 years old every 5 years. Diagnosis is obtained with colposcopy and biopsy, and management can involve hysterectomy, radiotherapy, and chemotherapy, but it is dependent on the tumor's FIGO staging. Thank you everyone for listening to this episode. Be sure to follow us on our social media platforms and tune in for our next series, which is our revision series. If you enjoyed the episode, please do follow us at Aberdeen University Endocrinology Society on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This episode is in collaboration with the Aberdeen University Obstetrics and Gynecology Society. So don't forget to check them out on Facebook and Instagram as well at Aberdeen underscore Ops and Gynae.
Also, please make sure to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. We thank you for the support. If you have any requests for future podcasts or any feedback, please let us know. Thank you.